and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another incredible guest to reintroduce to you now. Sally K. Norton is a returning guest on our show. Be sure to check out her first appearance in episode 208 and her second appearance in episode 310 of Boundless Body Radio, both of which are two of our favorite episodes and ones that we share around the most. Sally K. Norton is an expert in the art and science of healthy living and healthy eating. Her interest and expertise in dietary oxalates originated from personal experience in healing pain and fatigue for herself and many clients. Sally is the best-selling author of the 2023 blockbuster and much-anticipated book, Toxic Superfoods. Learn how oxalate overload is making you sick and how to get better. Toxic Superfoods is a masterful contribution to the literature on nutrition. It is a sweeping examination of oxalates from all angles, medical, scientific, historical, dietary, and cultural. Readers learn why oxalate toxicity has remained invisible in medical and nutritional practice and discover a simple program to get relief from the myriad conditions that oxalate toxicity can create. You can find Sally on Instagram at SKNorton or on her website at www.sallyknorton.com. Sally Norton, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you back to Boundless Body Radio. Hello, Casey. So fun to be with you again. I love it. Such a joy to chat with you. I have probably told you 17 times the highlight, one of my highlights of 2023. I'm walking around KetoCon. I just got in. It's day one. I feel like a new kid at school. You know what I mean? Like I'm holding my backpack and like walking around. I feel kind of shy and I'm like looking around to see if I notice anybody. And I'm walking inside the building and you're walking parallel to me outside of the building. And I go, is that, holy, oh, it's Sally. I know Sally, Sally, that's Sally Norton. I got so excited. And you walked in the building and you were getting like your, your registration check-in. I was like, should I say anything? Should I not? And I just gently tapped you on the shoulder and I was like, hey, Sally, I don't know if you remember. And you go, Casey, and give me like the biggest hug. It was like the coolest moment. I felt like the coolest kid ever. You are the coolest kid ever. <laughs> And it's so fun to be with you. I'm looking forward to next time. Uh, me too. <laughs> it was really amazing to be able to spend some time with you at that conference. You and I watched a few of the talks. I got to watch your presentation, which was, boy, really amazing. And you had a, a somewhat um, difficult task of getting in front of a bunch of people who have gone low carbohydrate. Uh, KetoCon in Austin is kind of a wide range. I noticed that there was a lot of people who were experts in ketogenic and low carbohydrate diets, and there were a lot of consumers as well, and some people who are just getting started. And to stand on stage and tell these people that, you know what, all of these amazing sacred cow foods, like your spinach and your almonds and the dark chocolate you've transitioned onto to go low carb, actually might not be that great for you. What was that like? You know, I, I credit the organizers because between the lines, I saw permission to go ahead and say it like it is. And so I felt like I had somehow been given permission to say that if you're going to stay plant centric in your keto diet, you are relying on foods that are impossibly high in a toxic chemical that's going to cause trouble they deserve that. And I, I was so grateful that I felt like there was room to say that there. Yeah. Robin really yeah. made it an open thing that anybody could talk about, whatever. Even Dr. Canberry kind of came on stage and said like all the people next door that are selling all these low carbohydrate food products are probably not that great for you. I don't know if I would go exactly that far, but I understand the point that like <laughs> these things that are, you know, kind of helping people for a little while are actually causing a lot of harm. And I think that's why your message is so important. You haven't been on this show since your book has launched toxic superfoods. This was a 
extremely highly anticipated book in the low carbohydrate community. Um, the cover is amazing. The content is incredible. I thought I knew a lot about Toxalate before I, I listened to the book for the first time. I learned all kinds of stuff. What has it been like since you've, you've launched that book? Ironically, one year ago today from the, the, from the launch of this episode. Pretty cool. Yeah, here we are at the one-year anniversary. We've had about 50,000 books sell. And what I'm hearing from my followers is that they literally buy it in triplicate and give one to their sister and their doctor, and then they buy it again in triplicate and give it to this person and that person. So there's a lot of evangelizing going on because it really is changing lives. And the book gives people some grounding and some sense of reality about it because we live in a world that is so unaware of the oxley problem and that these foods that we all assume are okay even the basic peanut butter and the sweet potatoes that you give your baby when they go on to solid foods uh you know that is actually a problem and that is not a message that people are receptive to so having a solid book to support them means so much to people because it lasts there's an explanation for these dogging problems with their mood and their pain and their sleep and their skin and their digestion. And people are actually even starting to recognize me. I was in Iowa City recently and some random person walked into the store. I was about to give a, a presentation to a group and she was, didn't know I was going to be there, but she recognized me and she gave this fantastic testimonial about how much the book changed her life and stopped this endless search for answers about her digestive problems. She had been to all these doctors and the book was the answer. So that's all I wanted to achieve with the book. I, when I realized what I'd done to myself, I thought, oh my gosh, how is anyone going to figure out that it's their sweet potato habit <laughs> or yeah. their occasional weekly Swiss chart? Like you can't, you don't know. And without someone to give you a little um, tip, you're be lost in the dark. And I wanted to make it possible if there was anyone else like me out there who was eating the best they could and feeling lousy, they deserve this information. And luckily people are picking it up and sharing it. So I'm oh so grateful that humanity wants to help itself. Yeah. People want to help their friends and family. They really want to invite their friends and family to wake up to the oxalate thing because now that they've realized how much it's affected their health, they're now concerned about their nieces and nephews and their mothers and their brothers and sisters. And they're wondering, well, you know, will they ever listen to me even with this book? And maybe the book is not enough for them to help people they love. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough message to accept for sure. Um, and if somebody's wondering whether you really went through it, your own health story, I definitely recommend the, the listener go back and listen to episodes 208 and 310, where you talk about the suffering that you went through. Oh my goodness. You, you really went through the ringer with some of this stuff. It's just, all of these foods are placed on a pedestal and they're the best things that you can have, which is why I absolutely love the title toxic superfoods. It's something that people can relate to, but also make them question like, wait, superfoods. I know all these superfoods. Like these are all the things I know are healthy for me. And I, I just, I guess I have to speak to my own experience. And you know, when, when I started going low carbohydrate, um, I did so 
for kind of performance reasons. I noticed that it really helped my cycling. I noticed that it was um, helping me and some of my clients when I would do tests with a metabolic cart. Their metabolism seemed to improve. They used to shift their metabolism towards fat burning more than than they were carbohydrate burning, which was great. Um, I definitely noticed some benefits when I went keto and my brain was was working a little bit better. But I really noticed in April of 2019 when I transitioned on a carnivore and I cut the last remaining vegetables out of my diet. Um, the thing that surprised me the most was not that I lost a few more pounds of fat and, you know, my energy was really, really good, but I, I just like, it was two weeks in almost that like, there was this like calmness that I'd never really experienced besides just like fleeting moments here and there, like maybe a sunset or a special moment or something. This was like there, like there was nothing going on. There was just like birds and a tree and everything was fine. And all the stress that I had been worried about and all the spinning around and things that were never going to happen to me just didn't really matter. And that feeling has by and large stayed with me through eliminating some of these foods. And I was continuing to eat the vegetables that were high oxalate foods. And I really wonder whether that really was, was part of, of me ditching my anxiety. That has been the most gratifying and surprising feedback I've had with teaching this, how many people were suffering from anxiety and that lack of calmness. And calmness is one of those words I hear a lot. Like I can experience calm now and never could before. I personally didn't notice a lot of agitation and anxiety, but I really struggled with like just meditation, like trying to settle the brain down. It just made me exhausted. Like there was my brain was not working well. And it was definitely the same kind of genre of like, and and this non-calmness can be happening in a way that doesn't necessarily feel emotional because the other way that it was ruining my brain was I couldn't sleep. My brain was waking up 29 times an hour and I didn't, I was so exhausted. I didn't even know that was happening. So it's the same kind of neuro agitation because it's a nerve toxin. It's a activator of immune cells. It, it, turns on the mast cells and creates inflammation, which causes these brain problems that can be anxiety, panic attacks, this sort of flat affect or apathy that you get where you just like have to force yourself to care about all your to-do list with things that you've chosen to live your life with. And even your basic things you want in life aren't exciting to you. That's all neuroinflammation and oxalate can be a trigger directly to the nerves. And because it forms these crystals, it turns on the immune system over and over and over again. And you get this mess from that inflammatory reaction. And then it also destabilizes connective tissues, which adds to pain syndromes, which adds to this constant cycle of inflammation and nerve toxicity, inflammation, and nerve toxicity. And the, the thing that gets it going can be this oxalate poisoning from sweet potatoes and spinach and beets. <laughs> almonds and dark chocolate. It's crazy. Amazing. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Well, I, we just have, we've had so many guests on this show that have come on and have specifically mentioned your name. James Lehman credits you for saving his life. Dr. Bill Schindler says you changed his life. Absolutely. The first time he heard you, I still remember the first time I heard your content on the peak human podcast, I believe with Brian Sanders. And I remember thinking like, uh, this, this is either bonkers, <laughs> or this is a huge problem. I had never heard any of that stuff. And it, it really is, again, eye-opening to know that some of these the foods that we put on that pedestal, like we said, are, are not great for us. And you kind of mentioned the history of some of this stuff. You mentioned like, you know, the medical profession and the dietetics associations. I think it's um, maybe not talked about enough, in my opinion, um, 
the, the history of some of this stuff, but you do a great job in your book talking about the history and where this came from. And, and I'm wondering, like, yeah, why isn't this more talked about today? Like, what happened? Because the studies were there. Everybody knew as far back as, like, the 1800s that this stuff was problematic. If you had too much of it all at once, it would accumulate. Why, why is this, like, a new topic for people today? Yeah, I wish I had a really good answer to that. I did attempt to answer that in the book and talk about all the changes in the healthcare world and how we got distracted. We get distracted by the latest theory. You know, it, we have these generational theories where it's all going to be this. And then we discovered the genome and it's all about the genome. Then it's the microbiome and it's this and it's that. And we get so uber focused on the theory, like the whole phytonutrient theory that, oh, plants have all these fancy chemicals that help you and they squelch aging because they get in there and they beat up the oxidative stress. And that was just a little back of the envelope theory as a way of sort of quickly summarizing the initial impression they were getting as they were spraying these chemicals on little Petri dishes of cells which has nothing to do with how it operates in your saliva and your digestive tract and as it goes through your liver and as your body excretes it, like none of those things are happening on a layer of cells. So it's irrelevant to your actual life experience of eating a food and its effect on you. But we got this, one of the new theories that started in the late eighties, I believe is about that time was this whole idea that plants are really great. Now we liked plants at the beginning of nutritional science. Um, for a lot of reasons. And one of them was because the elites realized that the poor people are living on cornmeal and whatever they can scratch out of the earth. And so they have a lot more plants in their diet. The less money you have, you tend to have more plants because you can grow them relatively cheaply. But nowadays, plants are really expensive because nobody grows their own plants. They come in from far away and they rot in your refrigerator and they end up being a pretty bad deal economically. But the history is so interesting from a sort of nutritional science point of view, because back in the 1930s, we already had enough studies with animal and human infant feeding studies where we literally feed the infants spinach. It was very clear from those studies that feeding spinach, a high oxalate sort of poster child food two infants cause severe calcium and iron deficiency in human babies. We knew this, but right away they were already saying, well, this one outfit, which was the medical society, put out this nutrition journal and they said, you know, we're just not going to call that out because there's probably some good stuff in plants like vitamin A when we know that's not real vitamin A in there and there's some other good stuff and it's kind of hand-waving because there's probably good stuff in there. We'll just ignore the fact that it's toxic for humans and especially for infants and we'll just call it a leafy green. We could have easily have just segregated out beet greens, chard and spinach. Leafy greens, not worth touching and all the other ones are fine. We could have done that from the beginning, but already in the beginning, for no reason without any authority to do so, the experts are already saying, now nah, we don't care. So poor oxalate is the Rodney Dangerfield of, of science. Like nobody gives it the kind of respect it deserves, even though it's been around like your little sister is hanging around like the furniture in, in your life. You just kind of ignore her because she's not the center star of your show. And it's never earned the center star place that it needs to be, except that now it is the star of the plate because these foods like quinoa and 
things like chia seeds are coming on and pretending they're human food and they're really high in oxalate and it is the center of your plate. And we have this level of ignorance that makes that incredibly scary. Yeah, it is very scary. And I think that availability is such an important thing to consider when you're talking about spinach available 365 days a year. Like you couldn't just find massive amounts of quinoa or again, Dr. Bill Schindler, who we've had on before, we asked him like, when you were growing up, did you have nuts? Yes. He ate nuts at Christmas time and they were this big and he had to crack them. You do a tremendous amount of work to get this tiny thing. It's not the same as buying a giant bag of shelled ready to go almonds from your, your major grocery store. You know what I mean? Those are two vastly different things. So not the same. <laughs> I mean, they were like in the, the toe of the stocking, <laughs> the, the nuts, like that's when we got the nuts, they were whole nuts, mixed whole nuts in their shell. And then you would spend the next two weeks after Christmas sitting around the kitchen table, keeping your hands busy while you're chatting about things. It wasn't a meal. It was a, you know, it was a accoutrement to a social event. It wasn't a, an entree, but now people are literally concocting pancakes, muffins, cakes, brownies, all kinds of things are being made with almond flour. And, and for the, for good luck, we'll throw in some almond butter and some sweet potato, and maybe we'll sneak in the spinach. Cause there's a big thing with moms. Now they're supposed to sneak spinach into things. And so you can make pancakes and you can make flatbreads and you can make omelets and you can make all these things and sneak in the spinach. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Not great. You said a word that, that really jumped out at me this last time reading your book, which is phytonutrients. It's so interesting. There are phytochemicals. We've come accustomed to calling them phytonutrients. What, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, they're not nutrients. They're, they're, a nutrient is ideally an essential nutrient, something your body can't make that you need for cell reproduction, body maintenance, for health and well-being and performance. And these phytochemicals are these families of like polyphenols, like, I don't know, 8,000 polyphenols that we're just figuring out the chemistry of and wondering how they all interact and how they interact with the microbiome and how the bacteria digest them or don't, whether we absorb them or not. But a lot of them are just known toxins like Tannins. Tannins are known to be something you don't want to eat a lot of or absorb a lot of, and the body tries hard not to absorb them. And this has enzymes in the saliva and the gut and liver to try to break them down to protect us from their very dangerous effects. The tannins are known as tannins because they mess with proteins and make them different. So you use a tannin to tan leather and turn it into something nice and hard like shoes, gun holsters, saddles, <laughs> leather products that are very hard and durable that can literally outlive you. I mean, there are leather things from before we were born that still exist because once you put a tannin on leather and you turn it to something tough, you've altered those proteins and made them quite different than the proteins you want on your cells and in, in your skin. Well, if it makes your muscles, you if, don't want tannin. If it makes a saddle last that long, wouldn't it be good for our longevity to eat a bunch of them? Makes us last a really long time. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we should use that instead of embalming fluid. There you go. It's so nuts. But, and let me give you another example. When, when, when we were working back with the corporate office, we would sell supplements and we had a supplement hit the market that was 
incredible. We couldn't keep it on the shelf. It, it was amazing. We had tons of education about it. It was phenomenal. And it was quite expensive, if I recall right. It was anti-inflammatory. It was curcumin. And one of these amazing benefits about curcumin was that our formulation that we developed came with black pepper to enhance the absorption of the curcumin. Well, that's very interesting. Why wouldn't my body just absorb curcumin when I eat it? Why do I need a second substance? This was pitched to us as like, yeah, this is why Indian food combines these two kind of spices, the turmeric and the pepper, and they had the ancient wisdom. And now you can take this pill and it's got them both. What do you think when you hear that? Biohacking your way to hell. (laughs) Yeah. So the body doesn't want the curcumin. If it needed it badly, it would make an effort to absorb it. It would have a technique for absorbing it and getting all it wanted without you bypassing your self-defense mechanisms that prevent you from absorbing it. And by adding the black pepper, you just take a toxin and make it more toxic. Ugh, crazy. Okay, well, now might be a, a really good time to maybe back up and just very briefly, high level, let's talk about the family that make oxalates. It's kind of two or three different things that we want to think about. We've covered this in depth in other episodes. So again, people can go back, go back and listen to some of those things. But maybe briefly, you could just kind of talk about the few different forms of, of the family of what we call oxalates and kind of a little bit about what they do in the body. Yeah. So yeah, we call them oxalates in plural because it, the parent compound is oxalic acid, this little two carbon molecule, and it drops a proton. So it, it has this negative charge on it that likes to connect with a single positive charge like a sodium or a potassium. Those forms, when you dry it, they stick together, but in the water, they just come apart. So it's always an ion when it's that form, but then it can drop the other proton and now it has two negative charges and connects with things like calcium. Well, calcium and oxalic acid form such a lovely little marriage that even in water, they tend to stay together. So that's called insoluble. So then insoluble form is very common in nature. Plants turn oxalic acid, but plants in order to make oxalic acid, many of them first make vitamin C because vitamin C easily oxidizes down into oxalic acid. So vitamin C becomes oxalate, which is another issue. But so you have this oxalic acid that's forming these bonds with calcium and forms what we call an oxalate salt. And then you get pairs of these little oxalate salt molecules forming crystals. So they come together and they form this lattice structure of bonds that become a nanocrystal and that nanocrystal can grow and grow. And then little crystals can start sticking to each other. And then you have a stone and that stone can be a kidney stone, but it can be anywhere in the body. The most common places, what, what, well, let me back up and just say that of those forms, when you eat a plant, you're eating the oxalic acid and you're eating crystals. Now the crystals basically just abrade your teeth and your digestive tract. So that's like eating, they're very hard. They're almost like quartz. They're harder than your teeth. So you can literally grind down your enamel with the mechanical abrasion. And of course, eating little bits of quartz or glass shreds, because some of them are shaped like toothpicks. And those are definitely self-defense molecules that the plants design like little arrows. So eating that stuff is really abrasive and can increase inflammation in the gut. But you don't absorb them unless you have gaping holes in your gut. What you absorb is the oxalic acid. So now you have this free roaming chelating cleaner because you you can use oxalic acid to take the rust off your car engine and off your patio, clean your sink with it, buy some barkeeper's friend powder, that's oxalic acid cleaner as a zud. There's wood bleaches available. You can see, go look at some labels in the hardware store and you'll find it. So this, now you've eaten a cleaner. It's a 
it's a leach. They use it to leach chemicals. They'll leach, you know, heavy metals out of water and things like that using oxalic acid. They're using oxalic acid in battery plants to try to reclaim precious metals because it'll grab metals. Well, if you've got this binder, this leacher of minerals in your blood, that's affecting your magnesium levels and your calcium levels and, and, and generally your electrolytes. Now you're forming salts somewhere in tissues. It might be the blood. It might be in the fluid around the cells because it ends up getting pushed through the capillaries into tissues anywhere. It tends to collect in the teeth and jaws and thyroid gland and the bones and bone marrow. It loves to go where there's lots of circulation and calcium. So here you can find calcium very readily in many cells and around them and in them and in bony tissues. And now you start forming these crystals that tend to stick to tissues that are inflamed, infected, just re reforming new cells. Your body has to keep making new cells all the time. They, they get old and die and you have to make new cells. But that tender new cell process is also sticky toxalate. So you're eating the acid in the crystals. The crystals just mess up your gut. The acid gets in, starts messing up your electrolytes, causing oxidative stress in your immune cells and your blood, starts damaging the, the liver and starts traveling around and then sets up little deposits in the tissues especially, you know, you have to eat enough of the stuff for that to happen. If you don't eat it, then you don't have that problem. Yeah. If you keep it really low, then your system can basically recover from it and handle it because you don't absorb 100% of the oxalic acid. But yeah, there's these different forms and it comes and goes because you can form crystals. And then in some cases, the cells can figure out how to break that down again and turn it back into acid. It's tough work to do, but then you can keep kind of recirculating it around the body. You have to get rid of it. You can't metabolize it and detox it or anything like that. You just have to pee it out or yeah. poop it out or it can come out of your tears. It comes out of your saliva and can form tartar. Yeah. And so that's an example where you can see crystals sometimes. Interesting. Well, that was a really good description on both the crystals and the acid. And the acid obviously seems, you know, multiple times worse than the crystals, but the crystals are the best way that I've found to get people at least on board with the idea. Like if I just tell a client like, hey, mentally do this thought experiment with me, take a handful of spinach, chew it up in your mouth, there's a very distinct mouthfeel that you get. Can you can you feel that? And they say yes. And I say, what, what, what does it feel like? And they're like, oh, it's kind of sticky or tacky or, you know, it feels, I don't know, my teeth don't feel that great. And it's like, yep, those are the oxalate crystals. That's a crystal form that's just going through your system, like you described, like glass or sand or whatever. And that's the stuff that you pass. So it's not great that it's going through there, but at least you get rid of it. The crystal's causing the real damage. You also said something that, that I really, really, really want to point out. It's accumulation. And this is part of the nuance that makes this so challenging for most people. And you gave an example in your book, which I love. And I will say, if you're a millennial and you haven't watched any I Love Lucy in your life, shame on you. You need to go back and watch I Love Lucy. Those episodes still hold up to this day. They are hilarious. And you describe a certain scene in I Love Lucy that I think most people over the age of like 40 or 50 will probably remember. Can you talk about the accumulation and how that relates to the scene in I Love Lucy that you described? Yeah, so the I love Lucy scene, Lucy was hysterical. She was a great, um, you know, physical uh, comedic actress who was, you know, one of the greatest first female comics in modern age. And she, they did these really slapsticky, like not fancy, you know, the set was nothing. And then her buddy is Ethel and they're 
they're kind of ditzy, right? And they get a job. You know, this is the days of housewives and getting a job was like a big deal. And so they're now at the chocolate factory and they're in the wrapping room and the, this little conveyor belt comes along with little chocolates and they're supposed to wrap them and, and then they're supposed to carry on to the packing room. And um, they're pretty excited about handling chocolate and they're interested to taste it and all. But the the within minutes, like it starts really slow for a few seconds and then it starts faster and there's more and more chocolate, way more than two people could ever wrap, even if they were talented. Uh, and, you know, they're feigning their incompetence in the scene. But they literally they can't handle it. It's like way too much chocolate, or, aka oxalate, bombarding them, and so they start just like eating some of it because hey, it tastes good, and then jamming it in their shirts and their bras under their hats, and she ends up with chocolate smeared all over her face, and she's a big mess, and of course, she's destined to be fired because she, the kidney, has failed at properly processing this oxalate that's come to them because it's more than they're designed to handle. And that's our diets now. Our diets are so overloaded with oxalate, it's beyond what two little kidneys can handle. So Lucy and Ethel are my code names for your kidneys for trying hard to take the oxalate and put it in the packing room, which would be your bladder and sending it out of the body. And they just can't do it. It's ridiculous to ask them to handle this much oxalate. The bloodstream doesn't like it. The immune cells don't like it. The vascular tissues don't like it. So the rest of the body has to come to the rescue of the poor Lucy and Ethel kidneys. I love that. That's so great. Yeah, and, and it works both ways, right? You can overaccumulate it, but also if you're eating some of these things seasonally, making smart replacements, which you get way into in the book, which I absolutely love, you can lower the dosage and you can have some of these things. Somebody recently who has been eating a mostly carnivorous diet asked me like, what are some like low oxalate vegetables that I can have every now and again? It's like, well, I mean, even some that are like moderate just don't overdo it. Like if you have it, have it like once a week or once a month, like just don't overdo it on some of these things. And as long as you're aware of that, you can make smart decisions. And there are other vegetables. It's not to say that every vegetable, you know, only one prepared way is going to be fine. You give lots of different examples of things that are totally fine to eat as long as you put some thought into it. Yeah, and it's important to know you can stay vegan and still benefit from paying attention to oxalate. It's a little tricky because, you know, your vegan choices are already kind of restricted. And then you're going to take out a chunk, maybe a quarter of the stuff that's on your vegan menu. But you, I've had vegan friends and followers who have resolved their pain and their gout and this and that and stayed vegan. So it's it's not a um, requirement that you do like some big, oh, I can't be vegetarian and I can't have salads and I can't have, that's not the message at all. But in a more important side of this is that because we, as a culture, grow up probably eating too much oxalate because some really basic foods have a quite a bit of oxalate. And if you use them a lot, that becomes a big problem. So peanut butter is a standard childhood food. Um, whole bran, you know, breads are high in oxalate. You've got potatoes are really high in oxalate. And it used to be you just had potatoes with dinner, but now we invented potato chips and French fries about 70 years ago. And they have become so acceptable now as food. People think of them as food, even though they're just junk. Um, they're very, the, the, the deep fat frying when you make a chip or French fry seals in that soluble oxalic acid. It's like oh, wow. 89% soluble oxalate in the potato chip. And so that's really a good package for delivering a lot of oxalate. And you can have, you go out to eat 
during the lunch hour, you're going to be offered either French fries or potato chips. And if you go out for dinner, you're going to be offered baked, fried, or mashed at every meal. I mean, it's so cheap for restaurants to provide potatoes. So potatoes is ubiquitous. Peanut butter is everywhere. Chocolate is everywhere. A child's first birthday, they might give him a chocolate cake to celebrate the first birthday. Like it shows up pretty early in life. And then there's Halloween and then there's holidays and cakes and brownies and, you know, it's everywhere. So just those three foods, potatoes, and then there's the sweet potatoes, which are now popular. And the, you know, the potatoes, the chocolate and the peanuts, you can't get out of kindergarten without having those, one of those on your plate at least four or five days a week. So we grow up on these foods and now, and then you get to be grown up where your parents start negotiating about desserts and forcing you to eat your spinach or sneaking it into foods to make you have more vegetables. Cause we've been told now for 40 years, you gotta have your vegetables and it's critical. You're damaging your children if you're not force feeding them vegetables. So there's a lot of arguing going on in the household. So I'll let you have your chocolate ice cream if you eat your spinach and that's not a good combination. <laughs> you know, like, so we're doing things that's just standard business for a long time where we tend to be exposed to a lot of oxalate just as the course of normal life. But now we're in a position where beets are popular and here comes the, the sweet potatoes and the Swiss chard and spinach everything and spinach salads and almond this and that and raspberries and all kinds of foods. And then, like I said, the chia seeds and the, and the quinoa and taff and exotic more things that were considered exotic 30, 40 years ago are everywhere. And you can get seeded breads and even your everything bagel is covered in seeds that are also high in oxalate. So you don't have to be a health nut or a vegetarian or vegan to be overdoing poor Lucy and Ethel and the rest of your body. Yeah. Okay. So really good point and a great segue. I actually really wanted to talk to you about this. We kind of know at this point, especially if you've been turned on to this topic for a little while, that if you have been vegan, if you have been very plant-based, if you have been very health conscious, you've been making the smoothies, you've been Liam Hemsworth throwing in handfuls into his blender every single morning to the point that he needed surgery. Um, and, and then the quote, which you have in the book is him saying in men's health or whatever, like you should still do a vegan diet, but when it falls apart, uh, you, you can kind of course correct there. Like, why would you even say that when it fails? Like you're acknowledging that it's going to fail. Why would somebody eat this way anyway? But, but we know that like those people are pretty much almost guaranteed to get smoked by this stuff. I'm thinking of James Lehman in particular, like knowing his story, he, you know, lost all that weight. He's having to this day way better results, but he's still doing dumps every now and again and dealing with oxide is a big problem. But those those kinds of cases are very severe and you're going to end up at the hospital. You're going to have to address this at some point and they're going to have to work with somebody like you who's an absolute expert in how to step away from this stuff. Like you told us in our first episode that we did, you need to treat oxalate like a sleeping baby in a room where you back out really slowly. It doesn't mean you cut everything off right off the bat. And so again, we kind of, we've addressed that in that population, but I'm, I'm was really curious to hear your opinion on those people, normal people every day. I'm not a health nut, but you know, my joints hurt a little bit, or I've got the brain fog a little bit, or I'm just not as happy as I used to be, or I get the gut issues and they chalk it up to just aging. I'm, I'm getting older. It, it, this person has it and this person has, it seems pretty normal to me. How can it accumulate and become a problem for people that again, are not necessarily very health conscious? 
Yeah, well, you know, like I said, you just have to like Reese's peanut butter cups and French fries to be overdoing oxalate, especially in the context of the junk food and the just the other stresses on your system. But I was always a healthy eater and I was already having night vision problems that go away on the diet. And, you know, my eyes were wrecked as a 10th grader. I was already in glasses. And by the time I was 21, I was in progressive bifocals. You know, so you can ruin your vision, your hearing, your balance, your coordination, your mood, your happiness. You can become prone to injury. You can be uncoordinated. You can be klutzy and have, you know, personality issues and have learning problems. And these can all be the oxidative stress that oxalate can cause. And they, they just seem like, oh, you just picked a bad straw in the life lottery, you know, but but literally it's the way we're living that's causing us to age early and, and start falling apart at 35 and getting even probably perimenopause, infertility. There's, you know, pretty good pr preliminary evidence that demonstrates that oxalate accumulates in the epididymis of the testicles and affects the sperm quality, not the sperm count but the sperm heads are damaged from the oxalate. So it's it's connected to breast cancer, which has become a like common problem. So a lot of things that are normalized now, and there's a lot of sense of uh, you know altered brain function in many ways. And some families who have autistic members in the family see a huge improvement and not just anxiety related to things like autism, but ability to have higher level brain function that's you know, the executive function improves. So, you know, if someone just suddenly steps wrong and or trips and suddenly has this horrible injury in their ankle or their knee or their hip, and it doesn't resolve, your system is stressed. You're not, you're not able to correct your connective tissues and recover and repair them. And that was what happened to me. I had 30 years of problematic feet because the connective tissue was never quite right. And I didn't understand that until I went on the diet. So you really can't argue with something you haven't tried. Like, it's not that hard to go a couple months with less potatoes and less spinach. And, you know, you can have some of your chocolate because sometimes it's just getting out of what I call the danger zone of exposure that's making you grumpy, irritable, worried, um, and a little bit miserable, like everyday misery, prone to injury, aches and pains, arthritis, and little gouty things or toothaches to sensitivity, losing your good night vision. There's a lot of little things that don't seem like a big deal, but it could be a big deal behind the scenes. Evidence that your system is really struggling and it could just be simple things in your diet that you could swap. You know, sometimes it's just one or two foods that need to be deep sixed for a little while and maybe forever. Yeah. Likely forever. Likely forever. And, and again, making any change to a diet can be a challenge, but when you, once you get used to other things, it, it's really not that hard to maintain. And I'll give you an interesting example. So we just had Thanksgiving last Thanksgiving. I had, you know, it's I'm with my family. And so I had potatoes and I had the, you know, cheap out of the box stuffing, very, very traditional um, Thanksgiving foods. And so I had the <laughs> potatoes, my tooth hurt for like 36 hours, like pretty acutely. Um, it was very uncomfortable. And this year, for whatever reason, whoever fixed my plate put less potatoes on there. And I kind of just didn't like chew them as much. They weren't in my mouth as much. And my tooth was fine. And so I wonder if that was part of it. I was expecting like, oh, I ate the potatoes. Here we go. My tooth's going to hurt again. And it really didn't. So I think that was really interesting. That is very interesting that you're seeing potentially a, a direct topical exposure causing a direct localized reaction. And that is very possible. I usually tend to think of it as a systemic problem where 
the oxalate comes back around and gets delivered to your mouth through the blood flow into the teeth and through the saliva because the saliva glands concentrate the oxalate in your blood. So four hours after your Thanksgiving meal, the peak of the oxalate absorption is about at four hours. It carries on for another another six or more hours past that. But you have this high level of oxalate four hours after the meal. And that's the time when you might also get a symptom. So you, but you had this 36 hour reaction where it turned on an inflammatory reaction and it took your body a couple of days or day and a half to like get over that and deal with it and move on. So that you wouldn't have a chance to even think that thought if you hadn't heard that potatoes have oxalate. That's right. Yeah, I would have no idea. It sucked too. Like any pain around your brain in that area, just it sucks. Like it wasn't fun for that long. And I also think about some of these other subtle hints and tips. Like people talk about like belching or getting the hiccups. It happens to people like all the time and they don't even give it a second thought that, wow, what what is causing this? It, it Could it even have been the meal that was four hours ago, eight hours ago? And maybe this isn't normal. Maybe it isn't normal. It's hard to know when you eat these foods as a normal thing. And you, we tend to get, I mean, as a group, and not everyone's this way, but as a group, people get very hooked on their little routines with food and very attached to their their food thing. And so the thought of not eating potatoes sounds, oh, horrific, but not if you're giving up all the suffering. My goodness, what a simple, what a simple choice that would be for anyone that was truly well. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So for the person who I would say is not necessarily in what you would call the danger zone, but they're, they're getting there. And again, this isn't your health nut. This isn't, um, this isn't somebody who's been juicing. Well, they're, and getting there. they're getting there one fork at a time. I right. mean, you may not be in like super high, but it really doesn't, according to the literature, you just need like that whole plate of Swiss chard once a week. And then a, a, a little bit of, you know, peanuts here and there, and a little bit of this or that. And that's enough to cause accumulations to occur in the body and to stay there. And you have to lower consistently long enough, at least five days minimum, to start that whole clearing process where now you can go into deaccumulation when it in itself is toxic. And that's not something that's you can mess around with, even if you think you have no big deals. I mean, a lot of people who get on this are the wives and husbands of the person who elected to do the diet because it just makes sense to eat the same way in a household. And they start having these reactions once they get off the high oxalate foods where they can see that they're loaded with oxalate accumulations and they can see it coming out. They can see that it's happening for them, even though they didn't, you know, they didn't imagine that it was their problem because they probably think, well, if you don't have kidney stones or if you're not really sick all the time, then it's no big deal. Can't bother right. me. I don't care. Yeah. Right. No. And and that's my exact point. And like, this is why in your book, I love that you also give personal examples and you share stories and testimonials from all these people. And one that really stood out to me was the guy, again, seemed like a normal dude who all of a sudden his kids were saying like, you're not acting like yourself anymore. And it wasn't a big thing, but it was, you know, tomato paste with the potatoes. And it's just a little bit here and a little bit there. And it all just accumulates into a problem for that kind of person. Is it as simple for them as, as just get these foods down for a while or eliminate them all before they've gotten to like the really severe stuff? It, can they kind of handle this in, in the, in the way that you suggest, like, let's, let's just lower these foods. Well, it's, you know, there's a lot we don't understand. And what's really interesting is that the oxalate is having effects deep down in each cell. 
Each cell is being compromised in its ability to stay healthy, to have enough mitochondria, to produce enough ATP energy, to function, to reproduce, and so on. And so lots of different things can go wrong. And when that blows up into changes in tissue function and metabolic function and tissue maintenance and so on, it affects different people differently. And so the, the face of it that shows up, say, with a clinical complaint of, oh, my ear is bothering me or itching or my head is driving me crazy every night I'm itching or I'm doing this or, you know, I get the belching at bedtime or whatever it is, you know, it's very different in each person. It can be just your kidneys going to heck, your bladder driving it crazy because a lot of urinary tract problems occur from too much. But so it's going to be different in each person. And the sad part is that it's the the body is not telling you that it's struggling. It's doing everything to pretend all is well. And it's not telling you how much it's really struggling. And that's what happened. And the case that I think you're referring to from the book was a man who's quite elderly in our view, 82, when this really broke. But he had spent years and he did do the almonds and the almond milk because he was doing the antioxidant diet that was going to save him from cancer and keep him well in old age. So he was determined to maintain his athletic, active, independent retirement years. And he was fine until he suddenly, all of a sudden wasn't. Like the straws that had been building up, he underneath, he was breaking and he just suddenly broke and his kidneys broke. He was on permanent dialysis. His pep and his personality and everything broke. And sadly, I hear stories of young people coming to my friend who's a who's a um, oriental medicine acupuncturist who does functional oriental medicine, he, people would come to him having done this fancy, you know, kind of really precious cleanse that you can buy through the doctor. So they do a cleanse just because they were fine and they just did it just in case, you know, can't hurt to do a cleanse. And that cleanse broke them, you know, some combination of not eating food, fasting, and this product somehow was either high oxalate. I haven't looked at the product. But then they couldn't get better. Like they broke and didn't rebound from doing something healthy. And this was clearly an oxalate problem. So it can affect you just out of the blue when you think you're going along just fine. So when you're going on the diet, you don't want to be someone who's then going to flip a switch and now re-poison your bloodstream and your immune cells and your bladder, et cetera, by spilling now back out breaking down the crystals in your tissues and putting them back out into circulation. So that can be pretty toxic and that's the problem. So you take in something that's high oxalate or a oxalate precursor that becomes oxalate in the body, like vitamin C, you only need to do this for like a week. Take, take, you know, six grams of vitamin C every day for a week. The body holds onto it because that produces so much oxalate, it can't pee it out. So now you have an oxalate accumulation and then a week or two later, the body is starting to flush it out. And now your oxalate levels are higher a week or two after you took it than it was while you were taking, because while you were taking it, the body was managing it. Now the body can't wait to get rid of it and you get into a more toxic stage and the process of getting rid of it. So you have this acute toxic exposure. Then you have this crystalline material in your tissues, which is very toxic form of oxalate. Then you have to try to break it down, which creates more inflammation, more, you know, circulation wide or systemic wide cytokines and these pro-inflammatory chemicals that put your whole body in an inflammatory state. And now you're releasing more toxic oxalate that continues the tissue damage and you have to pee it out. So the if you go from a really high oxalate diet to a very low oxalate diet, which 
adopting carnivore abruptly is an example of that. That is a situation where you could turn on this, this sort of a clearing illness that, and it can happen in waves that are so great. It can bring on some horrific symptoms and even heart irregularities. And you'll end up in the emergency room thinking you're having a heart attack because wow. your pulse and your heart rate are super sky high because it's messing with your electrolytes in the process. Wow. Wow. It's such a problem. <laughs> It's been a year, like we said, it's your year anniversary of releasing the book. Is there anything now you would go back and either change or edit or re-emphasize or de-emphasize? Well, there's little spots to do little improvements. And I think there's going to be more science coming along the way. So there may be a second edition in a few years from now. But I, I, generally, the book is held up. I've I've literally read it myself since it's come out, probably like 10 times because oh, every nice. time some new audience comes to me, I, th I think, how does this book suit that audience? And I'll go back and I'll read it through as if I was the naturopath or the pharmacist or the mom or the, this or that, and just kind of he hear the book, talk to me, imagining that, that mindset for that person. And I've, I'm rarely disappointed in the book. Cause I, I tried to strike a middle chord because my big audience is the health providers we're all turning to for answers. When we are struggling with health problems, you're not looking for me. I know that you're, you're going to your doctor. And if he doesn't have an answer, you go to another one, another one, and you get start getting referrals. And then that doesn't work. And you go to the chiropractor and that doesn't work. And you go to the acupuncturist and that doesn't work. You go to the massage. And now you're going to the homeopath. Now you're going to the herbalist. And, you, and now you're going to energy medicine. Now you're buying devices left and right. And now you're buying supplements like crazy. And you're just, spending time and money and not seeming to progress. And so I want those providers to be able to say, you know what? Do you eat a lot of spinach or almonds? <laughs> I want them to know to ask that question because they're not asking that question. They're not saying, what do you eat? Because what you eat, how many thousands of meals do you have every year? A lot. Well over a thousand times a year, you're putting something in your mouth and that's the basis for your whole physiology. Yeah. Well, it's so important. I'm so glad that you're targeting that audience. It has occurred to me after learning about this topic several years ago and continuing to learn about it, that compiling research for this is very, very difficult. You talk about the flights of stairs that you would climb at the universities, grabbing books, making photocopies back and forth and back and forth. And one thing that seems really problematic is finding the exact quantity of oxalate in certain foods. Uh, one paper says this much, another paper says that much. Uh, you, you have to take into account when these things were done as our growing conditions are very different. Um, and, and this is, has all been a huge passion of yours and has led you to actually kind of write a, a companion book, a second book, essentially, that talks about um, a little bit more of the data that you have compiled around this, which is an enormous undertaking, an enormous amount of work. Can you talk about your latest project? Yes. Well, initially, when I put the proposal out to the publisher, my plan was to have data tables that were pretty extensive in the book as part of the book. But it was clear to them that there wasn't room for that. So it, it had to be um, saved for another project. And that gave me more time to continue to work on a careful production of a database and continuing to figure out the data and figuring out ways to present it. And that is now finally here in 2024. You can get a really well-vetted set of data color-coded in a book or a PDF off my website. And that's coming soon in early 2024. And um this is going to let you get into the weeds if you want to, 
but honestly, you don't need too much of it. And I spent 30 pages in the front of this data guide. It's called the Data Companion to Toxic Superfoods, explaining the weaknesses of data, the lack of testing, the instability of the results, the poor reporting, and all the other things that, that you can't micromanage this down to the milligram. You don't really need to. If you really understand the worst offenders and you control them, and you understand what foods are low in oxalate, you have a lot of power saying, I'm going to build a diet around low oxalate foods. Now, there's a lot of things in the middle. People want to take certain supplements, and there's a few like slippery elm, which are disasterly, you know, high in oxalate, but in the herbal teas are all really low, and the black teas are predictable. And you've got in this book already, you've got a a dosing chart in the back that gives you a sense of how you can add back oxalate to sort of control this deaccumulation process. But now you can get what is really vetted and easier to use, designed for the consumer so that you don't have 17 tests of spinach to wade through. You have an average of all those tests and you have the you have all the references. This is the first data guide you'll ever find that really cares about accuracy and cares about original source material. So you've got all the references in this thing you can go back and look at the original reports and get the actual data in the back. So it's designed to be full of information, but simultaneously easy to use. And you can visually flip through it and see color coding to give you, oh, that whole category and that page are all high or those are all low. So you can get a deeper sense and get more intimate with the data. And that does give people a certain sense of um, control, which you deserve to have. If The more you study about oxalates, the better off you are. Yeah. Well, I can just say anecdotally, the people I've turned on to this topic and got them, you know, reading your book, listening to your material, they are the ones that care a lot about that stuff. And they inevitably ask about the amounts in different foods. It does matter to them. And so to have this is really important. We've had Monique Attinger on a few times on our show. And she said, as she was kind of looking through a few things and, and doing her own research on different foods, she learned that there was some mushroom that she didn't know about that was like super high in oxalate that she didn't know about. Was there anything in, in researching this latest data companion that really jumped out at you as like, wow, I thought this was, you know, a, a kind of a thing, but it's actually a really, really big problem. Did you find anything like that? Well, I think the main phenomenon that always, you know, I've been at this for a long time. It's been 10 years that I've been on this diet. I'm in my 11th year on low oxalate. So I've been at it a long time. And the thing that amazes me is how much you can misremember things in the data. And, you know, and if you learn from a faulty list, you've attempted to memorize something that was completely wrong. So the bigger problem is, A, the data is not that great to begin with. Even the best data that I can give you is still like hurting. <laughs> in my high standard, I have high standards for things. But also that you can really misremember things. So the the real value of having having the data companion is that you can double check and triple check and quadruple check and know what you're thinking about and know what you're talking about. A great example of that just generally is kale. Everyone says kale is high in oxalate, but relative to spinach, chard, and beet greens, it is very low. It's three times higher than lettuce and cabbage but lettuce and cabbage have almost nothing. So kale is is okay if you're not, you know, drying six heads a day and eating kale chips all day long, which would be just so bad for your digestion. <laughs> um, you, you can, you know, so there's things like that, that on the face of it, you know, WebMD says dates are high, they're not. So I have a few blog posts on my website about some of the data folly, as I like to think of it, because 
the data itself is so bad. And then our ability to remember things and communicate them well are so faulty. So having something at least in print that's been vetted, that's sort of easy to use is just going to take away a lot of that weirdness, I hope. I, I think it's going to be very valuable for people. Like I said, the people that are down this path, they really want to know. And in a world where, you know, testing isn't great, you give some good examples and maybe some good proxy markers and how we can measure urine in the book. But overall, it's not just something you can do like a finger stick and understand your cholesterol and blood glucose and triglyceride levels in a three-minute test. This is a little bit harder to assess. And so at least knowing better ballparks for some of these foods, I think is going to be really helpful for people. Absolutely. Yeah. The more information is key and your ability to understand something well requires your attention and you have to keep coming back to it because sadly, this topic is intimately, is easy to forget. It's very easy to just disregard the oxalate because that's what everybody does. And so other things are in our face all the time. And it's usually promotion of these high oxalate foods and how great it is because it's keto or it's green or it's this or it's a nut or it's this or that or something grand about it. And so we tend to believe what you hear a lot and you don't hear this much. So you don't believe things that aren't repeated over and over again and widely known as not common knowledge. So the real danger is that you're going to like touch and go and disappear and say, oh, I learned about that. I'm done with that topic. No, hang out. I mean, I think I could hang out for another lifetime and still have lots of questions and lots of fascination, especially as I work with people who are doing this diet, it continues. Every single person has a unique way of being sick with oxalate and a u- unique way of recovering from the poisoning. Yeah. And I, I'm just so humbled by the fact that there's so much to learn and there's so little curiosity in the medical community about this and very little curiosity with the dietitians and the general public would rather not hear that their keto bread is not working well in the long run. And that's such a good point. And even before this conversation, we were talking about an experience that you had hosted on a very major podcast by somebody very, very well known in this community. And even just today at the date of this recording, he put out something that said, these are some causes of mitochondrial dysfunction and Oxalate was nowhere to be found on the list. And there were other things that were a little bit more questionable. And so it it is a shame that people do forget about this because it is so important. And I've said this many times, oxalate is either completely overblown or it is ubiquitous and we have a huge problem on our hands with it. And so, you know, it's awesome that you're humbled about all these things, but you should also be very proud about your work because it, it might not be exactly mainstream, but people are finding it. And I would say, just like the episode we just did with all the members of of Dr. Chafee's book club, which you appeared on, we talked to Olivia Quadra, who is the host of that show. And we also pulled in a few of the book club participants. And it's cool to see Dr. Sean Baker. It's cool to see Dr. Chafee and all these guys who are high level elite athletes performing well, but the people that find these lifestyles have suffered massively and greatly. And that was a story that we wanted to tell. These are normal people from all over the place that were trying to do the best thing and harm themselves in the process. And your information gets to those people. So I, again, I just, I hope you should, you're very, very proud of your work because you very much should be. I am so happy that people are picking it up, unpopular or not. I am so impressed with people hearing it and recognizing it for a reality for them and running with it and and wishing they could help others. That's the other wonderful part about this is people really want to help each other. And 
yeah, people aren't going to listen for now, but keep planting seeds and getting a chance to talk to you and your audience is so exciting. (laughs) It's so great to not be sick. There's nothing better in the world. I love that. Yeah. Well, we'll stick with that as the way to end the show. And we'll just say, plant those seeds. Don't eat them. They're too much oxalate. Don't eat them. <laughs> Sally Norton, I treasure yeah. every every minute I get with you. It's been so fun to meet you in person and get to hang out with you in person. You're just an absolute angel. And I've loved learning from you over the years and especially today with this conversation and just so grateful for you and everything that you've done and for getting that message out to the right people when they're ready to hear it at the right time. Where would you like people to go to find you and connect with you and your work? Well, come to my website, which is sallyknorton.com and reach out to us there. You can, you know, email us, you can get on our newsletter list. There's free stuff to download. There's the data companion to find there. And that's the best place to reach out. Check me out on Instagram if you want. There is SK Norton and there's my YouTube channel. So you can hear some testimonial interviews there at better at sallyknorton.com because your brain and your body are better on low oxalate diet. So better, you'll see better on my uh, other handles too, because that was my, always my message that you could have a better life off oxalates. Yeah. Better at selling important. Well, that's awesome. We'll link to that in the show notes. And I think the testimonials are so important. Like I can tell somebody about carnivore at this point and they're like, yeah, okay, maybe. But still to this day, when I talk about oxalate and spinach and all of these foods are not that great for you, it looks, they look at me like I'm growing a second head out of my shoulder. It's nice to have so many different testimonials of people out there that are saying like, no, this is really a thing. And you can try this. It's not that hard to not eat spinach. I'm sorry. It's really not that hard to ditch spinach. I do not miss it in the least. You can do this. Sally Norton, amazing. Thank you so very much again for coming on our show today. And thank you for all of your work around this so important topic. We really, really appreciate you. You're awesome. You're the best. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. Thank you so very much for continuing to listen to Boundless Body Radio. As 2023 has come to a close and we're starting another new year in 2024, I always try to reflect on not only the direction that we want to go in the future, but also how much we have grown in this last year. Our podcast has now generated well over 400,000 downloads from all over the world, and it's all thanks to fantastic listeners like yourself. I hope you are as excited for the new year as we are around here. The lineup of guests that we have coming up is absolutely staggering, and we're always striving to bring you the best content from the most amazing people in health, nutrition, and wellness. Remember that you can always head on over to our website to book a complimentary 30-minute session with us at myboundlessbody.com. On our homepage, there is a book now button where you can select a time to speak with us about your health and fitness plan, especially for the new year. We've absolutely loved chatting with so many of you out there to bounce ideas off each other and try to come up with plans to help you achieve specific goals. And seriously, I really do mean this. Even if it's just to say hello and introduce yourself, we absolutely love connecting with our listeners in the community. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel as well if you want to watch these full interviews and also shorter interviews on more specific topics that are taken from these interviews. We've gotten really great feedback over there, and it's also a really fun way to interact with people who comment. We read and reply to every single YouTube comment we get, so be sure to subscribe to our channel and leave as many comments as you like to keep the conversation going. 
And of course, if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really is the best way to make sure that the podcast gets out to more listeners. Your five-star ratings and reviews are the best way to support us here at Boundless Body and to support the podcast at Boundless Body Radio really only takes a moment and it's very meaningful to us. Cheers to 2024 and thank you again for listening to Boundless Body Radio.